0: Are you ready to make positive transformation happen for you? Today, you're going to hear how some of the most successful people in the world have made it happen. Hello, and welcome to Transformational Energy Leadership with Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey. These successful people and Dr. Woolsey will share advice, insights, tips, and tricks designed to help you incite personal action. It's time to bring positive transformational leadership to your life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Matthew Allen
1: Woolsey. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey coming to you live from Seattle, Washington. And today you're listening to Transformational Energy Leadership, and our show is all about the Struggles Leaders Have with Embracing Their Adversity Moments, and I'm guaranteeing you this is going to be a great show. Now, before we get started, to all of you listening during the commercial breaks, go to my website. That's transformationalenergyleadership.com. You can learn more about me and my business offerings. And if you want to contact me, and, and please do. I love it when you connect with me. You can email me at mwoolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com, or you can go to this platform, that's voiceamerica.com, and go to the empowerment channel. I'm under there, and I'm on social media. That's LinkedIn and Facebook. And for all of you listening, remember, this is a live show, and you can call in because this conversation is going to be good today. Now, today's show is called Transformational Leaders Embrace Their Adversity Moments, and joining me today is Dr. John – or Dr. James Kelly, rather – And James, I know you're listening right now, and I don't know why I keep calling you John, but you're James, Dr. James Kelly. (laughs) I saw that
2: in the notes, too. I was like, should I tell him? I'm sure he knows.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do know that. So, So all the audience, you're now hearing his voice. He is the author of the book called The Crucible's Gift. Five Lessons from Authentic Leaders Who Thrive in Adversity. So a little bit of background about him. He conducts seminars on authentic leadership and teaches at the United Arab Emirates University. He's completed his PhD in international marketing at the University of Western Australia in Perth, Australia, and ascended to higher education to work in Philadelphia. And James has spent time living in Japan, New York City, San Jose, Portland, Chicago, and every stop he's added. Work, Life, and Failure in His Bag of Experiences. Now, if that doesn't give you a sense of who this guy is, he is simply a regular guy, and he's, we're going to have a great conversation today. So, Dr. James Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Matt, for
2: having me on the show. I'm thrilled, excited, and can't wait to dive into whatever you have in store for us today.
1: Uh, well, I, I have to tell you, I read your book, and I was sitting there, I'm sitting here in Seattle with my family right now and overlooking the beautiful trees and I'm reading this book and I have to tell you, I kept catching myself going, oh, wait a minute, that's so similar to my research or what the insights that you gained are so similar to my walk of life. So I just, I'm thrilled to have this conversation with you today and and I, I have to ask you first of all, because... You know I've written I've written a dissertation, I've written you know articles, periodicals, a, a book and it takes a lot of focus, persistence. there's just so much that goes into writing a book and I have to ask you what compelled you to interview leaders from all around the world and in your book, I know that you cite you you've you know interviewed 140 people but about uh, well I'll leave it there, but a lot of people and um, what what compelled you to write this? particular book?
2: Hmm. Well, I appreciate that question 100,000%. You know, at the end of the day, I've really been reflecting on that because initially I gave one answer to this whole entire thing, and what I realized is that the book was partially inside me, just based on life and my Uh beliefs, and the other part was I needed to have content that really supported my beliefs. Now, at the time when I wrote it, I didn't really think about it that way, Um, but upon reflection, I really think that the the interviews, which came from my podcast, um, allowed me to dive deep into their journey, which gave me affirmation that my journey and my beliefs kind of overlapped to some degree. And so the motivation was, you know, at 33, when I started my PhD, I wrote down a list of goals. And one of those goals was that I wanted to write a book by 43. And I'm 43 right now.
1: So oh, congratulations! I, I, I probably only
2: I only looked at those goals like two other times in my whole entire life since that point. But somewhere in my head, it resonated that, that I was going to do it. And So I'm I'm going to give that the credit that I did that.
1: <laughs> Forethought and, and forethought's yeah. a good a good signature of a of a leader as well. And you know, and I talk about on my show so much about leadership is not necessarily a title; it's leading your life. And in fact, you even you talk about that in your book about you have to lead your life. Mm-hmm. And it's, Absolutely.
2: It, I think that, you know, I think often, here's the thing I think about the world we live in, and, and, and you know this from a psychology perspective and just a life perspective, often many people let external events define who they are. And if we can flip that and say that we're going to define those events for ourselves in a way that's healthy, it's a fundamental shift. You know, something was done to me or something was just done. Yes, and yes. I think that there's a delineation between the two that 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 for me when you start figuring out that delineation and how you can take events, good or bad, that that are happening in real time and not not use the words to me I think it helps shift a lot of the way you react to the event.
1: Mm. So it's shifting from two to perhaps around or about or or, or something,
2: I I, I kind of sometimes agree. just say just is Matt like it just is like
1: yeah. things just happen. It just right? happens. Like, yeah, and you know, you know in the in the coaching it, world we we always say that when we're living where we are it's perfect because that's where you're supposed to be and then mm-hmm. it's it's so much like what you were just saying it's it's the filters it's the interpretations it's all about being in that moment and experiencing it. And, and like you just said, it's not about, it's not happening to you. And it's quite powerful.
2: Yeah. I, mean, I appreciate that. I, and I think that's a fundamental shift. I think it's hard for people. I'm guilty of it sometimes, you know, like uh, we could even take something as simple as where I work in the Middle East. Things occur. And I'm like, why are you doing this to me? But it's not really to me. It's their culture. So it just is. Mm. And, and whenever I remind myself of that, it allows me to kind of Place my judgment on the side, place my anxiety or my stress, place any of those negative emotions that I might have to the side and just accept the situation and then I can only control what I do out of that situation, which is the fundamental thing that's really important for people to understand.
1: Uh, and what you said, what you can control, and it's simply a choice. I, I have to introduce the audience to your book. It's called The Crucible's Gift, Five Lessons from Authentic Leaders Who Thrive in Adversity. And on the cover of his book, for all the listening audience out there, at the very center, James has, Dr. James Kelly has what's called the crucible. And then surrounding it is self-awareness, learning mindset, and then on the outer ring – there's compassion, integrity, and relatableness, and we're going to get to all of those. But we have to start at the core. Dr. James yeah. Kelly, tell me, what is a crucible moment?
2: So I think this is a great question, and, and I'm going to give you the definition, and then I'm going to explain. Um, there's, two, there's many different types, and I think that's a question you have for me, and I'll let you ask that question. I won't ruin your thunder at this point. <laughs> okay, um, thanks. So, so the definition of a crucible is really any any – moment in your life, any adversity moment in your life, that creates a fundamental shift in your identity and who you are. Now, the delineation of that is the level of shift and also coupling in their positives with negatives. You know, often we think of crucibles as solely a negative event, but I would argue getting married is a positive event finding a life partner is a positive event um, having children is a positive event. So these are positive events that we often don't attribute to as a crucible, but they are crucibles as well
1: because it completely shifts your life. Life, hey, I have to say too, when I was reading your book and I was getting into it, it was you had the the um, story about moving to Australia, for example, on your own, you didn't know anybody, you're going to go get your PhD. And I sat there and I was thinking, you know, even in my, my world is different than yours, obviously, but I live in Washington, I grew up in Washington State, and then that was my world. And then I moved across the country to West Virginia and to get my master's (laughs) degree. I Can't get much different. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I know. And, you know, to all my West Virginia listeners out there, it was home away from home, you know? But it was all about, you're right. It shifts everything. And there's that moment where you're saying, holy crap, what am I doing? I made this choice. How do I make this good? And how do I prosper in this moment? And so you're right. There's the crucible moments can be. And I I guess that's my next question to you as well is that. Do these moments that we call crucible, are they, are they co- coincidental or are, you know, are they accidental? Can we make them happen? How, do, how exactly do we find these? Do, do you define these moments?
2: Yeah, I, I thought that, you know, when I read that question, I was like, that's a fascinating question. And I think for the most part, it's a combination of everything. And I think that sometimes, you know, the death of my father, I have no control over that. That's just something that happens, and how I deal with it. Me moving is a forced crucible moment, right? So I'm choosing to move to get my PhD, or I chose to move to Middle East to teach. That's Those are choices. Those are forced upon crucibles. So there's a combination of all of those. I think what's really important is that often in the moment of the crucible, we don't actually... We don't actually have the ability more times than not to be self-aware, to evaluate what impact that particular event has on us as an individual. That's something that happens usually later.
1: Mm. And and that makes so much sense. And by the way, for all of you listening right now and your leaders, and you're thinking, okay, they're talking – a lot about the crucible. When are they going to get to the, when are they going to get to the leadership point? And it's coming soon, I guarantee you, but I think it's so critical. And, and James, I really appreciate your honesty because the, the crucible moments, you're right. They're, They happen in our lives. I remember sitting in, uh, I think it was Psychology 101 and Todd Hall at Washington State (laughs) University. And they had a list of like the 20 top things that dramatically impact a person's life. And what you just said, it could be death. It could be a divorce. It could be moving. So many different things. And so I think that's what makes your book so special is it grounds us in life. And it grounds us in what happens. And that Mm -hmm absolutely shapes us and I have to ask you because your book is um, you're honest in it and tell tell the audience or tell us what were one or two of your most crucible moments in your life that completely shade, shaped you and you already talked about your, the death of your father but even if you want to go a little bit deeper with that but where were some moments that really shaped you? Uh,
2: you know I find I, so i well, <laughs> I, I, I'm obviously stumbling over this question because I, I don't know if there's any one. I feel like my life's a culmination of many. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at, when you step back in your life, I, I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason and that in that moment, you know, whether it's in the exact moment or in the process of the moment, um, you have the ability to learn from it. So I got a DUI when I was 24, probably the best thing that ever happened to me. It forced me to understand fundamentally what lying is about, what lying and addiction is about, and that shifted the way I I interacted with people and, and my perspective on honesty. I think getting married was a fundamental shift. I'd basically been by myself and lived by myself for 12 years, and next thing you know, I'm married and have a child a year later. That's a fundamental shift. Moving to the Middle East is a fundamental shift. I mean, these are all moments that, that if you allow it, adds to your bucket, right? Mm-hmm. It expands your right. bucket, and I'm—I think that life's about experiences. I don't—I I never fault someone who wants to stay in the same neighborhood, live in the same—it's comfortable. I get it. Uh, I wish I was more, uh, wired for that, and I'm not. Um, I'm I'm personally wired to push my boundaries and see what the possibilities are. You, I grew up in the exact same house until I graduated mm-hmm. high school. Never moved. <laughs> Never really went on vacations. Like nothing. So I was I was probably positioned to be the guy that lived in the same neighborhood my whole life. Um, <laughs> uh, but there was something inside me that just said, experience def- experiences help define your knowledge base. And helps define how you react to different people, places, cultures, and things like that. And so I'm just driven by that
1: personally. And that's I I, I, that's that's simply why we connected so early on when I first met you is, you know, I grew up in the same house as well from from birth until the age of 18 off to college and come back and visit my parents at the same house. Even tomorrow or Sunday, I'm going to see my parents at the same house and I'm not 18 anyway. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) so anyway, James, here we are. And for everyone listening, the crucible is the core. It's the center of His book, and then we build out from that, and we're going to explore the model and the things that um, Dr. James Kelly is talking about. So, when we come back from the break, we're going to dive deeper into this whole thing and how it relates to leadership. And during the commercial break, go to my website, that's transformationalenergyleadership.com, and check it out. And I will see you here in a couple of minutes.
0: If you're lost in the dating world and need GPS, if you're stuck in dating hell and can't get out, if you're in need of a dating intervention, then Done Being Single with hosts Trevor and Robbie Sharp is your lifeline to love. From hookups to happily ever after, learn how to navigate single life and find the one. Tune in to Done Being Single, Saturdays, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration that opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time, 12 p.m. Eastern time, with award winning authors Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the Empowerment Channel.
3: Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world.
0: You are tuned in to Transformational Energy Leadership. To reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today, you are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to m.woolsey at transformationalenergyleadership.com. Now, back to
1: this week's show. Well, back. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you enjoyed taking a look at my website during the commercial break. And we are talking today about how transformational leaders embrace their adversity moments. Yes, I said adversity moments. And before going into the break, my guest, Dr. James Kelly, he and I were talking about our his own personal crucible moments that shifted his personal identity and you know john you had mentioned or james why do i keep saying john i don't know but dr james <laughs>
2: i got a brother named john we could just go with it let's just roll with it
1: let's roll with it all right <laughs> but before the break you were talking about your father's death and of course you know you getting a dui were just two examples of how your world shifted and changed for the better that's the other side of it and um It's really quite powerful. And during the break, of course, we were talking about other moments. So it's just our lives are a storybook of these big moments. In your book, you talk about the 15% rule and how it relates to authenticity. And I would love for you to share that with the audience because I think, you know, every – I'll get to that in a moment. But authenticity is just a powerful concept, a, a, a pillar, whatever you want to call it, about leadership.
2: So, you know, I think here's the thing about the word authenticity is like white paint on bathroom walls. It's everywhere right now, right? So I, the, I don't know if that was a great analogy or not, but in my head coming out, that sounded awesome. All right. So um, <laughs> the, the, the idea of authenticity is something that I, I actually steer kind of clear from fully defining in the book. And the reason is, is that the idea of the 15% rule is that you have to find your baseline authenticity. And for me, the only clear thing I say about that is about you trying to become a better version of yourself. You know, there are some people who who go out and they say, and I'll get to the 15% in a second, who go out and say things like, I can be a jerk, but I'm being authentic and blah, 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 blah. The problem with that is that if your version of authenticity is leaving a trail of carnage, then you're just being a jerk to me. You're not really being authentic. Mm -hmm. And maybe... You can define it that way if you like, but for myself and for leaders specifically, a leader can't lead if they're leaving a trail of carnage. It's impossible, right? No one's going to work for them. So this goes back to the idea of the 15% rule. Through, through the process in my book and in the course that I have coming out, my goal is to have people realize where their baseline is for authenticity, their best version of themselves. And in any situation, and I give you a personal example, having the ability to turn yourself up 15%, and turn yourself down 15% of that baseline, is really the ideal place to be. You know, we all have this idea of public versus private self. Mm-hmm. And this is this concept of when I'm in public, I act a certain way, and then when I come home, I switch certain things off. This is human nature. So when I go speak, I turn myself up. I'm, I'm fairly similar to what I am now, but I'm probably a bit more flamboyant with my hands. I'm more uh, theatrical, if you will. But when I'm home, I'm turned down a bit more. Or when I Mm go to my in-laws, I'm turned down even probably more. And so, you know, depending on the situation, I try to stay and keep certain core attributes of myself, no matter where I'm at and who I'm talking to, that I hold true to myself as my authentic self. And so in certain situations, I'll turn up my compassion or I'll turn up my integrity or I'll turn down my my behavioral integrity and I won't be quite as honest in that situation because, you know what, the other person really doesn't want it. They don't need it. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what I mean by that 15% rule.
1: It it makes a lot of sense. And as I'm hearing you talk about it too, I'm thinking, okay, you're at that 15%, if you dial it up to 30 or let's say you jack it up to 40%, how long can you sustain yourself at that level?
2: You can't sustain it, and people see through it. Okay, right, okay. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. you, I mean, I can think of so many situations where I'll meet somebody, and I'll think to myself, there is, there is no way on earth that they act that way all the time. And then it actually starts to erode my trust of that person. Like, do they genuinely have my interest in mind? You know, in the book, I talk about the idea of charisma, yeah. you know, as a form of leadership which there's, there's um, some academic research out there talking about unhealthy charisma, which is basically manipulation of people to get what you want. And, mm-hmm. and so when I see people who are really turned up, super overly friendly, I'm like, what do you want? Now, maybe that's a touch of skepticism. Uh-huh. Um, but, but you know what I
1: mean? Yeah. I'm with you. Absolutely. Because I've been around those leaders where you're thinking, huh, that smile looks a little forced and they're doing it yeah. all day long. It's not real. It, it, yeah. I just totally got what you said. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, not, it's not truthful. You know, in, in, in your book, you talk about authentic leadership. I think it was chapter two and you were, you were talking about the authentic leadership model. And um, explain or, or talk with the audience a bit about what the authentic leadership model is from your perspective.
2: So, yeah, it's just a framework that I've kind of created. You know, as I was creating the book, I was like, w- how can I simply explain the process? Mm-hmm. You know? And so this model, for, for the, the best way to describe it, is think of a bullseye, if you will. Yeah. And at the center of this bullseye is the crucible. And this is where everything kind of fundamentally starts with me. And in the book, and I think being a better version of yourself, is the crucible moment. And, again, they're moments. It's not really a moment. But if you move outside that, that center piece of the bullseye, the next level is this idea of, of being self-aware and having a learning mindset. So it's kind of like that, that second center is divided into two. So you have the center, which is the crucible. The next layer out is self-awareness and the other half is learning mindset. And then go out one more layer and it's divided into three and it's compassion, integrity, and relatableness. And the idea behind this is that there's a cycle. It never stops. You know, in the second circle, if you look at the the framework in the book, it's almost like an an arrow chasing itself. And so what I found with all these different leaders I interviewed is the ones that had the ability to be self-aware and learn and self-aware and learn kept growing their compassion, their integrity, and their desire to relate with those where they're at. Mm -hmm. And it only happened because of their crucible. Because let's take, for example, death in a family. So if I'm a leader and my mom passes away, you know what, when an employee comes to me and says, a parent passed away, I'm gonna have more compassion for them, mm-hmm, I'm gonna mm-hmm. understand their their point of view, their current state, and a much clearer perspective, and I'm gonna have more compassion for that individual in that moment. It's different than empathy. You know, many people lump empathy and compassion together. And I just want to define this, you know, defined quite clearly in uh, Brene Brown's book, uh, mm-hmm. One of her and very outstanding books, um, and and so empathy is really I understand how you feel. Compassion is I understand how you feel, and I feel internally compelled to relieve that, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. I think that's really important. And so, so not to kind of go off a side view here, uh, off the rails a little bit, but but in an organization, by the way, compassion isn't something that's complicated. We we think that that word compassion is loaded. Academically, it's actually shown that organizations that act compassionately with each other actually outperform other organizations. But compassion is something so simple. I mean, so minute as, hey, Matt, I I heard you ran this morning. Your cup is empty. Let me go get you some water. Right. Like, it doesn't have to be this monumental moment. It can be these micro moments of compassion.
1: Right. Yeah, I I completely hear what you're saying. And you know, when you talk about this whole thing about authentic leadership, my research really aligns with yours. There's that constant learner that that drive to be at the top of your game to know what you're doing and then that's the I want to say that's the science side maybe perhaps and then there's the artistic side that comes to the compassion part and it's that human connection and and that's just another way to frame it too but I I, I really appreciate what you're talking about James, we have a caller on the line are you ready ready for a call? Let's do this Let's do this Okay, we've got Lorna in Denver, Colorado Good morning to you
3: Hi, James Hi, Matt this is a conversation. Hey, um, boy, I work with leaders and have been a leader. And what James just said reminded me of something I think I halfway learned years ago that everybody's got jerk skills, right? We've all yeah. got the capacity to be jerks. My question for you, James, is you know, knowing that there are crucible moments in life where the universe puts a squeeze on us, how do I help my leader clients then to know it in advance to, to I don't know, raise their self-awareness or whatever you recommend um, so that they don't just have an emotional knee-jerk reaction?
2: Yeah, so I, I love that. There's, there's a book that um, Dr. Marshall Goldsmith just wrote called Triggers, which is a great starting point for you as someone who works with leaders, because it talks about those moments that create an impact and that have it have an effect, right? So it's an input-output. So something happens is the input, the output is X, so that trigger is that moment. Um, it's a fantastic book. You know, I, the crucial is, this is the thing, I, and I think this is the hardest thing for us who try to work with leaders, is you can take the horse to water, but you can't make the horse drink. And so for me, fundamentally, I try to ask the right questions to have them reflect on the best of what was so I'm a huge fan of appreciative inquiry and the power of positivity in that perspective. And so what I mean is that if you have a leader who had a crucial moment, and even though it's a negative event, the question you have to ask them is, what is it in that event that fundamentally fundamentally forces you to think about it positively? So you know, in my dad's death, and I'll just use a personal example, I got to a point there wasn't an, it didn't happen initially i mean it took a solid 18 to 24 months where i had to ask what was it about my dad's existence that i want to take moving forward what positive attributes from this when i got my dui i also had a choice of saying be bitter, be angry about having to i had to do basically 2 months of court mandated outpatient program it was 6 months for 6 months it was 3 to 3 hours a night for 4 nights a week And then it was one night a week for three hours for six months, and it was a year of therapy after that. So pretty intensive. I could have easily been bitter about that at 24 having to do that, but instead what I said is, what can I get that's going to make me a better human being out of this? And so as we work with leaders, it's important to ask the right questions that aren't deficit-focused but are additive-focused or positive-focused. I don't know if that helps, Lona, at all, but I think it's each individual so unique that all we can do as consultants, as leadership experts, is ask the right questions. Because, you know, the, the, the best leadership experts don't actually answer a question for a leader. They actually just ask the right question for the leader to get to their own answer.
3: I love that answer. I can't even write fast enough to get it all down. Um, it brings me to one other question, though, James, deeply personal.
2: Sure. Um, what was your goal, then, in writing the book, I think partially it was cathartic um, at the end of the day. <laughs> um, I, I think here's the thing. I think the book is really predicated in the idea of saying we all have crucibles. But if we let the crucible define who we are, we give up the power to define them for what makes us a better human being. And, you know, we, we all have a story and we all have a truth. And when we start to understand that that your truth, Lorna, is yours and my truth is mine, I can't judge your truth, but I can only ask the question to understand your truth. And that Mm -hmm. truth is what defines who you are today moving forward. And so it was really important for me to try to convey that. Matt, I don't know if that's conveyed in the book or not, but I think it's really important that we acknowledge we all have bad moments and good moments in our life, and we should use them to springboard us moving forward in a healthy, positive way. So we can define it in a way that makes us interact in, with humans more compassionately and more honestly. And you know, we're full of a world that's, that's really opaque in a lot of ways. What's your intent? Where are, we, where are you going? What do you want? And in that, it erodes trust at a fundamental level. But I think of all the leaders that I've followed and believed in, they're the ones that have owned the bad and owned the good and inspired those around them based on their experience and connecting their experience with their followers' experience at the same time.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, So powerful. Don't let the crucible define who you are and um, really valuable for leaders. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Lauren. I really appreciate the questions. They're awesome.
1: Yeah, thank you for calling in, and you're right. You, you really asked some powerful questions, and I'm going to take away from this section here, this, this segment, before we go to break. Dr. James Kelly, you said, look at it as additive focus instead of being deficit focused. What a powerful way for all of us thinking about when, when curveballs come our way, when life just has a shift, and it's all about that. Okay, what is the addition to my life instead of the deficit Simply powerful. So Can what we're I going add to that do... real so to Oh, you yeah, you're context. still there. Please do, yes.
2: Yeah, yeah. So this is really important, though, because
1: I'm not saying
2: ignore the bad. Right. I'm not saying don't have a moment of being angry, upset, even slightly depressed if that's where you need to go. What I'm saying is in that, be willing to also accept the other flip side of it because what I personally believe is only in, in, in difficult situations that you embrace and, and almost kind of get swallowed up into for a time period. And uh-huh. again, there's an unhealthy time period to this, and, and it can be debated. You need to get there to figure out what that additive point is. I think sometimes people say that, oh, just just look at the sunny side of that crucible. It's not that easy. Like my dad's right. death, there was nothing sunny about that. but. It only came at the back end of it when I realized, okay, nothing's going to change. So because nothing's going to change, what do I want to take from his life moving forward that I think will impact me to be a better human being moving forward?
1: Right, yeah. Absolutely, and I I really appreciate your clarification or or, um, what you just said there. It makes a ton of sense. So, you know, James, we're at a commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation and dive even further into your book and some of the lessons for all of us as leaders and consultants and um, doing the the things that we do in this life to make you know to lead others or what have you. We'll, We'll get to that in just a moment. So, for everyone on the listening. Hold on just a moment. We'll be back here in a couple of moments, couple of minutes. Stay tuned.
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
3: Have you always known that something different was possible for your life and in the world? What if you could create beyond your current reality? If your relationships, finances, business, health, and life could be anything, what would they be? Join Heather Nichols for an invitation to discover what is true for you in every area of your life and for conversations loaded with pragmatic tools for how to create it. Listen live every Monday at noon Pacific and 9 p.m. Central European time for Creating Beyond Reality on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We all have the inner ability to use the gifts within ourselves to serve ourselves, our families, loved ones, and our communities. Once you have discovered these gifts and talents, you can promote harmony, peace, and hope. To find out how to harness your own gifts and talents, tune in to Get Ready. Get ready for your breakthrough with host Felicia A. Hill. Live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen and share with others.
0: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed.
1: VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
0: you are tuned in to transformational energy leadership to reach Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey or his guest today. You are welcome to call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, send it to M at transformational energy Now back to this week's
1: show. And we are back. So today, my guest is Dr. James Kelly, and we're talking about how real transformational leaders understand and embrace their adversity. Essentially, and we're talking about those moments in a person's life that fundamentally shifts one's identity and these are all called the crucible moments and James has shared a lot we just had a caller on the last segment who really pushed us thinking and pushed James thinking about what this truly means so you know Dr. James I've got to ask you in your book you say on average and this is where the the numbers start to come into play here but you talk on average a person works for 45 years (laughs) 48 weeks a year and 40 hours a week meaning really they spend about 86,400 hours at work, all the, you know, their life. and that's, Didn't that that's, depress
2: you? Because that depressed me when I wrote that out.
1: <laughs> oh, yes. When I read that, I went, okay. And, I, I, you know, of course, I read other research about this too. But when you see that 86,000 hours of my life are going to, you know, whatever you want to call it, the man, the, the machine, whatever you want to call it, and, and it conjures up questions. You know, it's just, it's mind-boggling. You, you think, okay. So my question for you is, when a leader loses a sense so you think about you're spending 86,000 hours at one company which is not the truth anymore because right we all shift jobs sure. now a lot. But when you're there and you're working for a leader and they lose their sense of their true north. What I mean when you think about that a leader who who no longer knows their true north what's the impact on their followers? Well,
2: I mean I just think that We we live in a society and a social construct that's been created through social media of transparency, and I feel like we are learning the ability to sniff out BS pretty quick, and so, you know, I've talked to a lot of leaders who, for example, completely believe that their private and public life are two separate things, and I and I respect that, but that's a very old school philosophy. Because it's not hard for any one of your employees to find you online and see what you're doing, right? So right. I, I feel like, and I'm not saying that you have to come to the office and, and, and give this diatribe of your weekend and your pains and every intimate detail. I don't mean that. But what I mean is that when you work with a leader who clearly you know acts a different way, I just feel and maybe this is my own personal bias, to be honest with you, but I honestly feel that you start to smell it and you start to question their intent and you start to not follow, but you don't engage, you participate. And there's there's a fundamental difference between the two. Participation means I'm there and I'm just ticking the box. Engage means you're part of the process. Mm -hmm, You mm -hmm. really want to find a result and... And help the organization to a deeper level. And I think, I think when you have a leader that doesn't exude a genuine sense of compassion, caring, and interest in your life, that doesn't go beyond what's acceptable, I, f- I feel as if you are less likely to go to bat for them on the other day. And this is, this is a total generalization. There are some people who could care less, there's some people who care more. But as a, as a broad brushstroke, you know, research is pretty clear that when you have a compassionate, when you have a compassionate environment, when you have an environment that's full of integrity, compassion, or a, an environment that has a depth of valuing those around you and fostering relationships, you get more out of those people. And a leader is the one who facilitates all of that. A leader sets that example. You know, there's there's a um. There was obviously when Enron was around, there's lots of literature about the fact that it was so competitive, you know, that it actually eroded trust and backstabbing happened, all for the bottom line. But what happened is that turnover was higher, um, productivity was lower, uh, just core human niceties were lost. You know, I have a brother in law who works for a major company, and I won't say, say which company, it's a global company, and they have to rank. The top thousand employees and the bottom ten percent get cut. Mm-hmm. That's the mm-hmm. old GM model or um, GE model. GE is model. G. It's another company. Now think about the mentality and organization when that happens. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so I've kind of jumped off your initial question in terms of when you have a leader that doesn't match. But when your leader is constantly evaluating you, that erodes your trust. Like, oh my gosh, my colleagues. Right? Like, I got to beat them. Yep. I've got to win. I've got to, you know. So, anyhow, I don't know if that answers your question. I kind of went off the rails a little bit there. But I think at the end of the day, if I was to sum up what I was trying to say, <laughs> here's what I'm trying to say, Matt, mm-hmm. is that <laughs> when a leader doesn't exude their authentic self, he's not getting the best out of their employees. Because fundamental trust begins to be eroded at the edges and works its way in over time
1: we can and we we all to a certain degree some of us are more more alert or more aware than others but you right. can tell when the authenticity simply is rusted or shiny whatever you want to call it but when it's real you can feel it and you can sense it. And, you know, there's a, a, another dimension. There's a couple of dimensions in your book. You talk about compassion. You've already taut- touched on that one. I want to get to relatableness for a moment mm-hmm. and because I think this ties into that nicely. And talk more about relatableness in terms of you've got the crucible at the center of who we are, but there are these other layers that really, you know, shape who we are as a, as a person, as a leader.
2: So, relatableness to me was one of these aspects that I found that a lot of CEOs had. Now, now some use, I think, charisma, which is, a, which is a fine line there, but the concept of relatableness is really about meeting people where they're at. And the executives that I think had the biggest impact were able to talk to, whether it was the admin, janitor staff, or other C-suite and everything in between, to talk to them and meet them where they were at in their journey. Mm-hmm. To talk to them in their language, at their place, and make them feel like they're part of something bigger because of that conversation. You, you always hear stories about admins who will say, you know, here's a 100,000 person company and the CEO will come in and know the name of the admin person and they feel empowered to be there. Mm. And it's, it's doesn't, you know, I talk about this concept of creating micro moments of meaning. In the book, and these micro moments of meaning are when an executive, it doesn't have to be an executive, but in this example, an executive comes into an organization, talks to the admin, and leaves that person smiling. Mm, Now, that positive 15 to 30 second interaction has a ripple effect because you know what? The next person she talks to, she's going to probably be a bit more happy, more positive, too. And Mm -hmm. if she has this principle of micro-moments of meaning, she'll leave that person smiling. And then that person, if they have the same principle and it's a core philosophy of the organization. And the ripple effect happens. And the idea of this, it's a multiplication effect. And so when you embed this from the executive level down and from the bottom up, this idea of creating micro-moments of meaning or relatableness, it allows you to start to create and permeate this idea of positivity and positive interactions. You know, I mentioned earlier this idea we live in a deficit society. You know, what's wrong with this? What's broken? What do we have to fix? And if we can flip that a bit and just use our interactions about what is the best in that interaction, what is the best in that moment, can I leave that person smiling? Can I leave them feeling better about themselves? It's very Dale Carnegie-esque, but when you multiply that out, The impact is just tenfold in organization in terms of productivity, compassion. Again, it goes back to my core concepts, right? So everything kind of just permeates and gets larger because of this, I care about who you are, genuinely. I listen with intent. Mm -hmm. I'm not waiting to talk, I'm waiting to listen. And when you do that, the other person feels heard. I mean, I think of think of something very simple, Matt, like in terms of, you know, when you talk to a child, You know, I mean, I have four kids, all Uh under 10. Um, I'm just, you know, the audience doesn't know this, but I'm just coming to the end of my 45-day cross-country tour with my kids, and um, we've driven over 6,000 miles. We have another 1,000 to go before we leave the country again. So I spend a lot of time with my kids, like a lot. Uh Like a lot. A lot. lot. (laughs) lot. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) A lot. Um, And I can tell you, we are just like kids in the terms of we want to be heard, Mm-hmm. As human beings. And an organization is no different. So when my kids talk, if I don't acknowledge them and I don't look at them, they don't feel heard. And when they don't feel heard, they either keep going or they feel, uh, it's in essence, deficit approach. Like, oh, I'm not appreciated. Mm-hmm. So when you're a leader in an organization and you're trying to create micro moments of meaning, if you're waiting to listen, listening with intent, you're actually making the other person feel heard. And now you're actually hearing them and now you're responding to them. And now you're creating this sense of that micro moment of meaning in that, in that exact moment.
1: Being heard. Everything you just said, I'm sitting here processing, I'm thinking about everything you're just saying. And it, it, it means so much because you're right. It's, you're actually listening to me. You're thinking about what I'm saying, and then you're responding. And when you said it's Del Carnegie esque, mm-hmm. aren't the lessons that he wrote back in the 1930s? I mean, they're timeless. It's absolutely yeah. timeless. Totally timeless. Yeah. You know, and it's so much of what you're saying there about the ripple effect, if you will, when the when the C-level person talks with the admin at the front of the building, and and they. Make their day happier, in that fifteen second to thirty second exchange—the ripple effect that comes from that—and that leads me to my next question. Because I, I, I think I understand. I, I have a feeling. I know what you're going to say, but I talk so much about energy in this world. We have it. It's either positive, it's negative, but it's there. And when we th- when we think about energy, what are your thoughts about a leader and and energy?
2: Mm. If the if the essence of a leader is to essentially, I'm going to paraphrase this, is is the person that that you look to for influence and direction and organization, the way they carry themselves, the energy that they have and manifest, will directly impact those around them. And so, the way that I'm that I would use energy, and I think you would use it as well, is that when the person carries themselves in a manner that is transparent, mm-hmm. that is, I think, accountable for their positives and their negatives, that is positive, that is, and again, I don't mean gregarious, but I mean positive. I think there's a difference there. You can, I've seen yes. leaders who come in who are super happy and super affable and blah, 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 but they're incompetent. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. right. You, you need to have competence in there as well. You know, but I think the way they carry themselves, the way they act and behave and interact has a huge impact. You know, those who think they deserve what they got and those that respect what they got approach the job and leading two different ways. And I think that's really important. And, and again, human beings, for the most part, can sniff that out arrogance yes. versus competence. And I think there's a big difference.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you. We all, we, yeah, we all have the litmus test, if you will. There, you know. So, I, I guess the big question for you as well. We think about the framework that you've, I, you know, you've, you've structured in your book. We talk about the crucible at the center, and all these meaningful dimensions of who we are and the interplay with each other. How can a leader use your framework going forward?
2: So the framework is really predicated you know at the end of each chapter there's a there's several options or activities i partnered up with a couple of, of clinical psychologists who are, are well respected in their areas and they helped me come up with some action items that you can do in the organization as a leader you know the idea overall in the book is how can you develop your self-awareness around these frameworks that i've created uh-huh. because in, at the end of the day that's when you talk to any leadership expert who works with, a leadership coach who works with leaders, that's the hardest thing to get, right? How do you develop that self-awareness? And, and part of that self-awareness is learning to be more compassionate and so forth and so on. And so a leader can use my book as, as basically a guide um, of activities and actions and thoughts, you know, mm-hmm. gaining awareness of when maybe they're not acting compassionately or when they're not having the hard conversations they need to have. You know, often for a leader, one of the hardest things to do is to have the con- con- hard conversation with someone to say, maybe this job isn't for you. But what's interesting about that is it's often not about the other person. It's about the leader feeling uncomfortable. And once, once the leader realizes that having those hard, honest conversations isn't about them, it's about the other person's benefit, it, it, it's a paradigm switch for them. So I think it's a really impactful thing
1: it makes it, yeah it it completely makes a ton of sense and you know we're we're closing in on the hour the time flies by quickly and you know if as we think about the conversations we've had today your personal stories the the insights the research that backs up what you're talking about what are the what are the headlines? What are the, the the key points we want all of our listeners to be thinking about so that they can start enacting in seven minutes, five minutes, once the show is over, they can step out of where they are in this world and go out there and start making change in a positive direction. What are those headlines, James?
2: What are those headlines?
1: Yeah, or the key takeaways.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um Basically, that was my stall technique. Hopefully, it (laughs) works. I love it. That's good. uh, You know, I think the key takeaways is starting with the premise of the book Uh is asking yourself, how has the adversity you've experienced in your life impacted you? And this is a simple exercise of drawing it out on a piece of paper and making a T column. And you can put one that is growth-focused and one that is basically fixed focus. right? So... How has my adversity made me grow? How has my adversity made me fixed, not move, be stagnant? And once you start with that list, it allows you to draw perspective of that. And if you look at your your adversity moment, your crucial moment, and you have one in the growth column, I would encourage you to process that and think about it again. I'd encourage you to ask the question of what was the best. That happened in that what was it in that adversity that I can take away that made me a better human being was it the compassion component do I understand people better is it the part that you value relationships more is it the part that you now know that when something occurs in this context whatever it is I can react that way that's a growth moment and so you really have to start with what have you learned from your adversity and in that learning is actually the self-awareness component but it's taking the time to stop. Often, when we look at our crucible moments, we don't actually pause to investigate them. We react to them and move on. Because mm-hmm. the pause is the pain, but in the pain is the growth. And you have to be willing to be in the pain to have the growth sometimes. And that's where that positive comes in.
1: It resonates so much with you know Carol Dweck's, and I know you reference her in your book as well, yeah. The Growth Mindset. You have to be in that Uh, some might call it pain but that uncomfortable zone where Mm -hmm. it it just doesn't feel good but at the end of it you really grow by leaps and bounds you know i was struck by when i was reading your book and i was thinking about my life you know part of my research when i was doing my my doctorate was i had to journal my life you know to uh, talk about and reflect on my life lessons i've learned and Mm -hmm. you know of course to try to circumvent or, you know, attribute and and get rid of bias in my academic research that I was doing. And during that time when I was writing, it's amazing when you really dig back to the earliest moments of your life where you can remember, maybe it was standing in, you know, at the age of five, you're going to kindergarten, you know, kindergarten, and you're standing in line around kids you've never seen before in your life to, you know, all those little moments, and they just add, and they add up, and they pile up, and they and it it's so wonderful when you s- stop and you really dig into all those different moments in your life and go, okay, that's why I'm acting this way or that's why I react to Dr. James Kelly this way. <laughs> you
2: know? It's, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Isn't it a powerful thing? Because without, without that, you, journaling is a great exercise. Without doing that journaling and just free writing, like put no constraints on it. Yeah. You know, whatever's coming to your head, just throw it on the paper, you know? Um, there's there's clarity in that when you're done but when you start when you start trying to edit in that process of journaling your adversity moment you yeah. start you start minimizing the impact so i would encourage those who, who want to take up this activity of either journaling or doing a t or doing both you know like do the journaling and then do the t to kind of extract Right, and in, in doing both, when you start editing it and filtering it, you actually lose the impact of the process itself. So be open. Open to the possibility. Of, that's one of my big things is open to the possibility of what if. What
1: if. Yes. And, and stop putting logic to emotions and feelings because, let's face it, we are emotional Feeling beings who just happen to think. <laughs> so,
2: yes, yes, and, so, but, and not to be geeky about it, but there's research that talks about the emotion is actually the root of our choice. And you take money as a, as, a, as an example. People who are super frugal or thrifty, they say, "Well, I'm trying to save money," but that's actually not a transactional thing or not a logical thing. That's an emotional thing. But we put we make money logical, but it's emotional, right? It's, so. It, just things, there's a lot of things that are just emotion-based that we, we wrap in logic, rational thinking.
1: Yeah, we, we try to do that and say, oh, we're higher on, yeah. You know what? I have to say, I'll tell you, we are already at the end of the show, and I, I can not express how thankful I am for you being here with me today. So thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, and, Matthew, thank you so much for
2: your time, energy, and willingness to have me on this awesome show.
1: Oh uh, Well, and for all the listening audience out there, his book is an easy, tangible smart read and I encourage you go out there get the book it's called The Crucible's Gift Five Lessons from Authentic Leaders Who Thrive in Adversity it's a great read it will impact and enrich your leadership journey so for all of you out there right now if you've got a topic if you have someone that you think would bring some enlightenment to our conversation please let me know you can email me at mwolsey at com. and until the next time I speak with you on the air Go out there, harness your energy, that positive energy that you have, and lead that transformation. And I will talk with you soon. Have a good one.
0: Thank you for listening to Transformational Energy Leadership. Please join Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey again for another edition next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.